the best, 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 best of Cresta in the Afternoon countdown. Number 31. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Millions have been impacted by the music and the characters of the smash Broadway hit Les Miserables, which really started in, in the English-speaking world, in the West End of London. Uh, but not everyone's had taken advantage of the deeper stories that are presented in the novel itself. It's a massive work by Victor Hugo, published in 1862, right in the time of the U.S. Civil War. And um, I wanted to take time today to help us get a little deeper into Les Miserables. Uh, I just got back from uh, leading our family, 22 of us strong, to the production of Les Miserables at the Fisher Theater in Detroit. And this is probably about the 12th time the family has gone to see the musical. Uh, and some of our kids have actually read the, the novel as well. But it, it's an extraordinary piece of work. And our friend Deal Hudson was interviewing my guest, Pastor Stan Buck, because Stan has been working on a project called A Year with Cosette. And after I heard Deal's interview, I thought, I have to talk to uh, Stan and, and see what we can do to get him on this program as well. Stan Butt is, in fact, a preaching minister for an independent uh, church in suburban Atlanta. His degrees include a B.A. in history and a master's in ministry. Currently, he's working on a doctoral dissertation on the theme, The Evangelical Literary Imagination, in the Great Books Program at Faulkner University in Montgomery, Alabama. He's the author of several books on practical Christian living and doctrine, especially for young people, and speaks regularly around the country and internationally. He also teaches beekeeping at the Foundry Academy, and we'll have to ask about that. Uh, Stan's had a lifelong love affair with Les Miserables. Stan, great to make your acquaintance. Thanks. Al, thank you for having me on the program. It's quite an honor. Let me, first of all, ask you about beekeeping. I've, it's, one, <laughs> it's, one, it's one of those things I've never imagined doing. Tell me, where is beekeeping in your life? Well, my father was a beekeeper when I was young. He developed allergy to it, so he had to stop. Uh, but uh, as you know, there's a, there's a pretty big environmental concern about bees and, and uh, loss of bees because of habitat and uh, pesticides and things like that. Uh, they're certainly a necessary part of the ecosystem yeah. that most of us live in. And, uh, and the food production around the world is adversely affected by the declining population of bees. In addition to that, it's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of science and a lot of art involved in beekeeping, and I teach high schoolers uh, yeah. beekeeping. My my daughter and I, uh, when when the when the massive uh, COVID quarantines hit, she came in from college, and I had about three months of unanticipated time with her, and she wanted to do it. She was a, a biology major, molecular biology major, and yeah. so she said, "Let's let's get into bees." So we got into <laughs> it, and then she then she left, and I and I was still in it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, let's let's talk about your project here, uh, a year with Cosette. How did that start? What is it, first of all? Well, it is a. I say it's a three hundred and sixty-five uh, meditation series, spiritual meditations. Uh, at this point, I have three hundred and eighty of them, and I suspect it'll go three hundred and eighty-five. I wanted to make sure that I finished out the novel with with these thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's based on a couple of ideas. Uh, and, and or a couple ideas where the um, 
inspiration for it. One of them is that uh, I read and have confirmed this, that originally Hugo wrote uh, Les Miserables in 365 parts. Oh, interesting. And it is a daunting book, of course, when you look at it. Yeah. Uh, if you carry it around in one arm, then that one arm is liable to get bigger uh, <laughs> the longer you carry it around than the other one. It's uh, around 630,000 um, uh, words. Uh, of course, Proust has a larger novel, but it's a it's a very daunting novel. And people look at the novel and, and think that it's that it's overwhelming and they'd never be able to read it. But the fact is, it, it breaks down into 365 very, very manageable chapters. And somebody that wanted to take a, a brief chapter a day could get through the entire novel in, in a year. So mm-hmm. that was one of the ideas behind that. Uh, another idea behind it, I, shortly after I learned that, I picked up um, Bill Hudson's great book, uh, 365 uh, Days of Catholic Thought. Oh, yeah. And was was reading through that. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice to take this, this huge novel that everybody wants to read, but very few have, mm-hmm. and and you know, think about it in a spiritual way over the course over the course of a year. So that was kind of the idea behind it. Nice, nice. And so, do you um, do you uh, you do a reflection on the chapter? Uh, do you uh, in- integrate scripture at all? Yes, uh, there are a couple things that that I set out to do with the format of of each day's reflection, and one of those was to. Uh, cite a passage of Les Miserables itself, and to try to do that as sequentially as possible so that whether you're reading this along as a companion to your reading of Les Miserables or whether you're not quite committing to the novel, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time you want to know what's going on in the novel. Mm-hmm. So each the format of each day's uh, meditation has a sequential passage from the novel, it then has a summary of that passage and the action that leads up to that passage. So, so from one day to the next, you can you can get the idea of the novel, yeah. um, both as a companion to you read along, or if you're not reading along, you don't miss what's going on in the novel and the passage doesn't seem uh, strange and, and out of place to you. So following that, there is a, there is a scriptural passage that I believe uh, goes well with the passage from the book, and then following that, there's a very brief um, meditation that I have written that takes the passage from the text of the novel and the scripture and combines those, uh, hopefully, in a meaningful way. Wow. Sounds fantastic. Uh, when do you think it'll be published? Well, that's that's the goal for this year. Uh, okay. I have, have completed the novel, and I've completed the, the Parts of the, so we're, we're kind of shopping this around right now, trying to figure out if it's you know if it's it's best as a as a, uh, a daily internet publication or if it's best as a as a hardcover pop, uh, mm-hmm. publication. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to see it that way. You know, when I set out to do it, that was that was how I envisioned yeah. it. Uh, that's kind of my dream for the thing. However, you know, I understand how things are these days with yeah. publishing, but it seems like it would make an awfully pretty book and and. It'd be nice on a on a stand next to a good chair under a good lamp. And Absolutely, just something you could yep. spend a few minutes a day with. No, I can see it that way, and I hope they do publish it. Uh, I'd like to have it in a hard copy like that. Uh, I still enjoy holding a book. Uh, 
I use I use online publications quite a bit, but I still prefer for something like this. I prefer to have a book in my hand, um, so I can easily thumb through pages, uh, jot notes in there. So yeah, I hope so. Um, well, listen, let's talk a little bit about Victor Hugo, uh, the author of Les Misérables. Tell me about the him as a, a man, and where was he? Spiritually speaking, well, his spiritual odyssey is a is a very interesting one, and in a lot of ways, it mirrors the political situation in in France at the time, which you know, to say the least, was was very volatile. Mm-hmm. He lived through uh, a a great deal of uh, turmoil there there in France uh, through through the revolution, through um, the years that that followed that, and the uh, seeming regime after regime, and as you know, the tenets of the French Revolution were not particularly religious; they right. were very humanistic, yep. and so there, there was a, in a lot of ways, a wholesale rejection of not only Catholicism, which had been the official, of course, uh, religion of France, but mm-hmm. of of deism in general. That that there was that there was a rejection of that, and so um, Hugo's beliefs that are expressed in Les Miserables are, I would say, complicated. They're, they're complicated from a from a social standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, they're not particularly complicated. That, that Hugo seems to have landed in a very profound position in his, in his beliefs in God, mm-hmm. in his uh, beliefs in what religion entails. Um, there are those who have said that you know this is not a Christian book, and they are they are absolutely wrong. It is absolutely that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's even a very strong case uh, made for the fact that it is a uh, pronouncedly Catholic book. That that the great spiritual hero in the book is a is a Catholic priest, and and another one of the uh, real spiritual heroes, kind of a, a humorous spiritual hero, is is uh, the mother superior in a in a, a convent, and she <laughs> al- she allows uh, Hugo to be when she passes away to be carried out to to uh, engineer one of his daring escapes in her. Uh, in her casket, uh, because she <laughs> believes that he's, he's actually he's actually buried alive, and and one of the one of the the real themes that arises in the book is to see uh, Valjean himself become uh, a very blessed character, yeah. uh, and become become a Christ figure several times. Yeah, the spiritual dynamic uh, in the novel. It, it, uh, it, unfolds over a longer period than it does in the musical, of course. The musical is about two and a half, three hours, uh, and it's incredibly telescoped. Um, Valjean, how long in the novel uh, before he actually has a moment of transformation? It's, it's not, it's, as you know, having seen the musical, it's... it's uh, Valjean has spent, uh, he, he's a decent person, uh, and then he steals a loaf of bread, of course, to feed his uh, sister's children who are starving. He gets caught stealing the loaf of bread and sent to prison, and then during his 
time in prison. He attempts to escape several times, so he ends up doing 19 years of time, uh, the, the initial crime of which is for stealing a loaf of bread, and then all the subsequent years are added because of escape attempts. So when he comes out of that system, he is extremely uh, dehumanized. He yeah. he does not believe in good. He hardly believes in in his own in his own humanity. Yeah. He tries to find shelter. He tries to find work, and of course, uh, he's branded. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Ho- cr- yeah. Stan, hold it there for a minute. We'll come back and pick it up uh, on the other side of the break. Take a few minutes here. And uh, we'll come right back. My guest, Pastor Stan Butt, is the author of the forthcoming uh, book, A Year with Cosette. It's, uh, look, 365 meditations on Les Miserables. Uh, We're talking about that extraordinary novel and the musical that followed. The best. 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 Of Crest in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 31. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Pastor Stan Butt, who is working on a wonderful project called A Year with Cosette. It's 365 meditations on Les Miserables, uh, again, aligned chapter by chapter with Victor Hugo's novel. We were talking at the break about the protagonist, Jean Valjean, the central character who goes through transformation through the novel. And I was wondering about the arc of his transformation. Uh, he goes to prison for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his his sister's starving child. Uh, he tries to escape, so there's more time heaped on him. He spends 19 years in prison, and then he's finally released. And uh, during the course of this time in prison, he's become increasingly dehumanized. And that's where we left it, I think, Stan. Pick it up there. Yeah, when he comes out, he, of course, has to carry around this card that identifies him as a convict, and nobody will hire him, and nobody will feed him, and nobody will give him lodging. And he's sitting on a, he was sleeping on a stone bench, and a woman taps him on the shoulder and says, have you knocked at that door there? And he says, well, I've knocked at every door. She says, well, have you knocked at that door? And he looks at it, and he hasn't. And, of course, uh, it is the home of a uh, very good uh, local priest, and... He goes and knocks on the door. The priest lets him in. Uh, he sits down at the table, and the women folk who are uh, the priest's sister and his housekeeper are terrified of this convict. <laughs> right. Yeah. But understandably, he's a rough character, and, and he looks rough, and he knows he does, and he, he almost takes joy in terrifying people. He knows he's going to be rejected anyway. Uh, but the, the priest's welcoming of Valjean is is wonderful. He he insists that they have company, and when company comes, then they get the silver out, and so he has the housekeeper go and get the silver, sets the silver in front of him, feeds him not as an animal, uh, not even as a convict, but treats him, treats him as a brother and tells mm-hmm. him he's welcome. Of course, uh, Valjean's not to be won over that easily. He, of course, appreciates the meal. He appreciates a soft bed, but in the middle of the night, he gets up, and he... Um, he steals all the silver in the house, and he uh, runs off with it. Uh, according to his, his luck, he is captured almost immediately, and he's drugged back to the priest. And the uh, <laughs> gendarmes say, uh, we found this man. He's got your silver. And he says, you gave it to him. And the priest says, well, I did give it to him. Um, 
and then and then he says, "But but sir, you forgot the very best." And he brings out these two very ornate, very beautiful candlesticks that were his prized possession, and says, "I gave you these too." And so Valjean uh, takes this wealth, and the priest tells him. The priest says after the Jean plea, he says, "I have bought your soul for God." Yeah. And it's a wonderful statement, and Valjean takes it very, very seriously. He, he takes that silver, he ends up investing in a factory, he becomes the mayor of a small town, he, he becomes very philanthropic, he, he, he is just very successfully, in, in a business way, makes, makes a ton of money. But, but his spiritual arc, you, you might imagine that uh, there it is, he's done, he's, he's well, he's saved, and, and, but the fact is there are... There, are spiritual crises that, that happen in the book on a regular basis. And, and I love that as part of the reality of not just Valjean's spiritual journey, but our spiritual our, journey that's as right. well. There is an adventure there, to it, yes. There, there is an adventure to it, and, and it's not a, you know, there, there's this, this grand moment where the priest tells him, I bought yourself for Christ, but then there are, there are times when Valjean has to make that decision uh, for himself. That's right. He does. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us about Cosette. Well, Cosette uh, is is a is a strange character in the book. Uh, she is she is almost a, a doll. Um, when Hugo wrote the book or, or set out to write the book, he identified uh, four characters. He said this is a book about a saint, about a man, about a woman, and about a doll. Hmm. And Cosette is the doll that that Hugo imagined. There are there are feminine characters in the book who are much deeper uh, yeah. than than Cosette. Yeah. But that's kind of one of the reasons why I, I named uh, this project what I did, uh, because here's a character who needs to be instructed. She needs to, to have her depths sounded. Yeah. And to look at the story this way, she is, uh, of course, the daughter of a a lady named Fontaine. Fontaine was an employee in Valjean's factory, but because of jealousy and other things, she loses her position there and ends up in prostitution. Her daughter does not live with her. Her daughter is is a tiny little bit of a girl named Cosette, and Cosette lives with some uh, very shady characters called the Thenardiers, and they basically charge her mother Fontaine an exorbitant rate to take care of her, which they don't take care of her. They basically use her as slave labor. And Valjean goes and rescues her from that, that situation and raises her as his adopted daughter. She mm-hmm. becomes the light of his life, the joy of his life. And um, she is she's kind of the foil against which these spiritual crises that Valjean have uh, develop as the story goes on. Yeah, as he's trying to be her guardian He's forced to make moves um, out of fear that his identity will be revealed by this uh, Javert, this uh, defender of the law. Tell us about Javert. Javert is one of the great characters of the book. He yep. is—he's uh, not the villain of the book. Interestingly enough, he's—he's he's a character who uh, believes in very stark, harsh. Uh, legal realities, and he lives his life according to those harsh, stark legal realities. He is constantly juxtaposed against Valjean. Valjean is a, a character who, not necessarily from his own actions, some some of his own actions, of course, but from actions of, of others on his behalf, he's 
the character who characterizes Mercy. Mm-hmm. And Javert is the character who characterizes Law. And he was so even, born, have, even born in a jail. He was born in a jail. Both of his parents were in jail. He, his mother was a was a prostitute, and he was born in a jail. But he he he, he said basically, I had to I had a choice whether I was be, I was going to become a criminal or whether I was going to become a a upholder of the law. And he becomes um, an upholder of the law, a, a very stringent. He's not vicious. He's he's just an upholder of the law as it stood, and you almost see working out in these two great characters of the book, Valjean and Javert, the entire conflict of, of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, mm-hmm. the, the contrast between love and law, and one character represents love and one character represents law, and, man, I hate to give too many spoilers on this, but uh, <laughs> when, when Javert comes to realize that, that here is a conflict that cannot be resolved in a conventional legal way, then then it then it undoes him. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and it's it's a very very interesting character study to see how he is destroyed by coming to realize that that law and and mercy sometimes are in conflict with each other. Yeah, yeah, and he can't make room. He has no room for grace or for mercy. Yeah, it's right. it's a it's a poignant moment in the musical. Of course, I have not read that portion of it in the uh, in the novel yet. I actually just began reading the novel uh, in the last two weeks. By the way, um, translations. It was again, it was a French novel, and I know you know there have been translations made uh, of it into English. Uh, I think the most recent one was uh, I think two thousand and seven. But what, which of the translations do you think? Uh, would be best, most accessible. What would you recommend? Well, there's a there's a 2007 translation uh, by Julie Rose, and it is uh, a, the first truly original translation since the 1862 Wilbur translation. It is uh, aggressively modernized. Okay, and there are folks who like it because of that, and there there are other folks who don't like it because of that. Um, after the Rose translation, there was actually a new translation in 2013 by uh, Christine Donaghy. Yes, in fact, that's the one I've got, and I've just started. Right, okay. Yeah. What do you think and of I, that? I, there, there are a lot of folks who prefer that one to the Rose because it does pick up on, on some of the uh, the tone of, of the earlier translations. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the language of the 1862 translation is is different. The spellings are different, but, but Wilbur was a was a personal acquaintance of Hugo and he was a he was a great French scholar. Oh. Uh, he was a he was an English scholar, but he spent a good bit of time in France as well. So the very first translation uh in eighteen sixty two and of course uh, it's public domain now and a lot of your books that you're gonna find of Les Miserables are going to be that Wilbur translation. I think anything between uh Wilbur and uh, the two newer ones that we've mentioned. Now, there, there is a 1987 revised Wilbur edition that was uh, revised by Fonstock and, and McAfee, and, and that is a superior um, version to the 1862. But anything between those two, you probably want to stay uh, away from. Okay. The, the Raxall translation is not good. There's a, there, was, there was, interestingly, a, a translation that was really just a revision of the Wilbur translation by a character named... AF. And that particular <laughs> translation was uh, distributed to 
Confederate soldiers during the Civil War. Um, and and a, a lot of these these polemical translations, and I call them that, because between 1862 and, and the, the 1987, uh, a lot of these translations just left out parts that they didn't want in there. So any parts on slavery were left out of the, the AF Wilbur revision and, and so, so a lot of the, the philosophical, sociological, economic passages that were important to Hugo are left out of these, uh, not, not just because uh, the translator saw that they were getting in the way of the storyline, but because uh, they were ideologically opposed to what Hugo was saying, so they just left them out. Uh, of the movies that have been made, uh, which would you recommend? I personally uh, like uh, the most recent. I, I really think the... Well, I like the I like the, um, I like the music for one thing, and and I first fell in love with Les Misérables uh, because of the music. I had a friend in junior high school who had a, a Walkman cassette player, and uh, she brought it on a trip, and that was the first I was a Philistine at the time, and and, uh, <laughs> and, she, and I said, "What are you listening to?" She let me listen to it, and then I then I. Uh, practically stole her Walkman for the rest of the, for the rest of the rest of that trip. Uh, but you know, I fell in love with it because of music. So I prefer those um, I prefer those films that are musical. I, I think that the best production of it so far, in my opinion, is is the twenty twenty movie. Um, That's the one with Hugh Jackman as Valjean. Twenty twelve, yes, yes, excuse me. It's twenty twelve, yeah. Hugh Jackman as Valjean, Russell Crowe as Javert. Yeah. And Anne Hathaway puts on a masterful yeah, performance. I agree. As, as Fontaine, it's 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 wonderful. Uh, a lot of the there's a there's a really good visual version of it. It's the one where Liam Neeson is about Rajon. Mm-hmm. Yes, Uma I've seen that. Yep. Uma Thurman is is Fontaine, and, and it is very good. Yep, I agree. But there there are two things that that mess up a movie version of, of it for me, and those are the the final scene of Javert's life, which can be awful. Um, and then what happens to um, Valjean at the end? Mm. But, but most, of these, most of these films don't capture the actual crisis of the end of Valjean's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, generally speaking, when Javert does what Javert's going to do, and Javert's life ends... Then you see Valjean walk off uh, like he just had the weight of the world lifted, and he can he can live happily ever after. That is not what happens in the book, right? Mm. Uh, we'll leave it there for that, <laughs> rather yeah, than yeah, resolve it. That. But um, uh, let's see. So you you like the musical, uh, and do you how was Les Miserables received when it was first published we've only got about 60 seconds oh well it was a huge thing All right, let me tell you this thing yeah Les Miserables was the was the most commercially successful book in the history of the world when it was published wow um Hugo had been in contractual obligation uh, with the publisher and had been offered $30,000, 30,000 pounds for uh, francs for his next novel. He, he accepted his weight in gold for the publication of Les Miserables. Wow. It was received worldwide immediately. Beautiful. Stan, thank you so much. Uh, I enjoyed talking with you immensely, and I hope we can talk again. And uh, I 
want to make sure we know when the book is published. So we'll figure out a way to stay in touch, okay? That's great, Al. Thank you so much. <laughs> Pastor Stan Butt, a year with Cosette.